What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Granger Smith Podcast. Thanks for listening on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for watching if you're watching on YouTube. And thank you for joining on this journey. It's been, uh, it's been a wild ride. We've had a lot of episodes. Thank you so much for all those that have started at the beginning and heard this story and heard me talk to some friends and heard me hear from some really interesting people. And if you're brand new, well, thanks. Thanks for listening. This is uh, such a crazy time, such a, such a wild time in the music business without a major tour going on. So there's so many other, other things that we have frying in different pans all over the, the countertop here. I, w- I want to tell you um, some of the ways you can keep up with this. Of course, a lot of you guys know the Smiths. You could follow us, me and my family on the Smiths YouTube channel on the Smith YouTube page. You could follow me, Granger Smith, right here on this podcast every single Monday. This is also where you're going to find Earl Dibbles Jr. This is also where you're going to find our truck restoration videos. A lot of you guys have been asking, commenting, every time you see a new video pop up on the Granger Smith YouTube site, uh, you've, been, you've been saying, where is the truck? How, where's the truck in the process of the restoration, the 74 GMC? Uh, and and I've, I've posted on here before. I feel like I need to tell you guys, first of all, I'm so sorry that that series uh, has been stalled a little bit. The cab is at the body shop right now. And the body shop is, you know, we've done everything on the frame up into the body. So the, the cab's at the body shop. Uh, they're putting the new roof on it. And they got, we got a big hailstorm that hit us in Texas about a month ago. And so the body shop got swarmed with work. Everybody... Uh, everybody has to understand that they're doing this work for us for free. So when real work comes in, they got to take the cash. So we totally understand that we're on a little bit of delay, but I'm told that as you're watching this podcast this week, we're supposed to get uh, a lot of stuff done on that cab where finally me and Butch and Bull could pick it up and start that series again. You could also find our series live at the Yee Yee Farm right here on this YouTube page. But it will be moving soon to a brand new, new and improved Yee Yee Nation fan club uh, that is in development that we will be launching very soon. And all these live shows will be going to that. Uh, not, and we don't have an official uh, uh, brand sponsorship today for this podcast. So I will talk to you about Yee Yee Apparel, which I always love to talk to you guys about Yee Yee Apparel. I'm right here sitting here at the headquarters at the Yee Yee Farm as we speak. Um, this is always a passion project for me as it has been for many, many years with me and my brothers. And I want to first of all, always thank you guys for joining Yee Yee Nation, for being a part of this brand, of this lifestyle that is so much bigger than just music or just one person. Uh, and and I am so proud every day to know that uh, that we have the responsibility of representing this lifestyle through this brand. Um, the month of August coming up, there's a lot of new stuff. We have uh, August 2nd, our back-to-school release. That's going to be really important. August 15th, some of you might not think this is important, but actually we've been working on this for a long time. But that's our leggings release, and Amber has been working so hard on these leggings. I mean, she's been working on this stuff for almost a year, trying to find the perfect leggings. I know that sounds crazy, but it's the real deal, and these suckers are going to be amazing. That's August 15th. Uh, uh, Then we get into September 4th through the 7th. We're going to have a Labor Day weekend sale. That one's going to be really amazing. I've seen some stuff all leading up to 
September 18th, our fall launch. And you guys know how these launches go. You got to get there early. Everything's going to sell out, but the st- it's so worth it. Um, you're, we're going to have early access through this fan club that I'm talking about. And I'm going to release a lot more information as that time gets closer. And you know what's really cool about the uh, September 18th fall launch for Yigi Apparel? What's really cool is the next week, my brand new album is going to come out. September 25th. A lot more that you need to know about that, and that will be coming soon. Today, that, this, is, this is a great chat, a great friend of mine, uh, one of the, the pioneers in Texas country music, um, one of the guys that many times has been called the king of Texas country music, and he has, he has uh, lived life to the fullest, and he has uh, lived a life worthy of, of you guys hearing his story because... Um, He's had a lot of love, a lot of loss, uh, and a lot of redemption. So without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Mr. Josh Abbott. Welcome to the Granger Smith Podcast. Two thousand nine, we were at Antone's downtown Austin. <laughs> yeah, a party, uh-huh. and it was like a, a benefit, I think. And uh, there was a bunch of artists there, a bunch of uh, Texas country industry people there. Mm-hmm. And I remember I played a couple songs acoustic. A bunch of people played. Yeah, yeah, it was a bunch. And you remember what I'm ta- the nine I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it was okay. like a showcase of sorts, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. So my my radio promoter at the time, she said, see that guy over there? I think it was a red trucker cap you were wearing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Good yeah, memory, yeah. man. She said, that guy is about to blow up. He's about to blow up. And I was like, what's his name? Josh Abbott. Yeah. That was the first the first time I saw Josh Abbott. I appreciate it. Met Shout out you. to Angela. Now, Angela Lampton. Lampton was the yeah. one that did that. And and man, she was right. Yeah. Because you skyrocketed well, from then. And so, what, do you think I'm right about 2009? Uh, yeah, it's probably or ten. Well, I don't know when we necessarily skyrocketed. Well, but, when but, did uh, when that Antonio? But that was probably. Went. I mean, definitely is 2008 or nine. Yeah. Yeah. Because we actually started touring in 2008, so we formed our band in 2006 just for fun. Okay. Um, then we eventually, I think maybe in 2007, recorded that Taste EP. Yep. And it just caught so much fire in Lubbock that we were like, okay, we're onto something here. So literally uh, in January of 2008, I uh, dropped out of grad school and um, signed a, I didn't really sign any paperwork, but I essentially 
orally signed uh, an agreement to be booked by Bruce Kalmick, who's now our manager. And um, KB Talent. So right? I'll never forget it. I mean, literally, we started in January 2008 in terms of like making it. So, you know, we had. We hired Angela to push songs on the radio. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if we hired her at that point. It might have been a few months down the road. She was definitely, if not then, she was definitely in talks with you. Yeah, yeah. She's She was great. She was a huge supporter and believer in the music and really got a lot of Texas radio to play it. And so when we were just years. nobody. I mean, 10 we were, years since, since we met, at least. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, you know what's a funny decade. is that you, you reflect on that memory, and I remember that show. I also remember, you know what? I also remember on that show. I'm pretty sure my fiddle, our fiddle player, Preston, um, he, uh, he 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 had like really slippery boots, and that stage was really slick. And I think I think he <laughs> slipped and fell on it. I'm not 100 percent sure if that was the show, um, but the show I remember meeting you guys at too way long ago is we played a show in Tyler yep. together. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean there was like 75 people there maybe. Or you were already, you're already on your way then. Maybe, but I mean, because same for you. But I, it was no, just, no, no, was, I wasn't. Because, I remember it was a weekday night. I think it was like a Wednesday night. Yep. yep and the only thing was. I remember about that venue was the big red curtain that yep. they had that would that would kind of dramatically open up for yeah. everyone to watch you. And you know, they opened it, and I'm like, oh yeah, baby, there's gonna be a lot of people out there, and there just wasn't. We just weren't in a position to sell tickets yet. I will say, I will say though, I remember that show very well too, and. And the reason I know you were skyrocketing it, first of all, you had a bus. And, you know, there was a time when, like, it was a very defined yeah. position if you had a bus. And and when you played, everyone rushed the stage. Yeah. It might have been 70. I think it's more than 70. It might have been a buck 50. Sure. But they all rushed the stage. And it was like, wow, this guy's <laughs> a real deal. And... Yeah, I don't know. But I, I we, think before before we dive into this stuff, we need to take care of probably for the listeners here. We probably need to, to define Texas country. Yeah, sure. Because as you know, when both of us started venturing out of Texas, that was always a question. Either you got it and you knew it, or you just said, well, "What is Texas country?" Right. This is like a big question. So, and I know that it's defined differently, but how do you, Josh Abbott, the one who has seen, I, I could say that you are top five ever of all artists that have experienced the, the extreme presence of what Texas country has to offer. So how do you define it? Well, you know, I appreciate the compliment. I, I definitely think we've you know, we accomplished a lot more than I thought we would. Uh, but, um, you know, I, it's a music, it's music that speaks to our culture. I almost, I almost think of Texas country as the same way you would if you found out you went to, if you go to Europe and you found out they had their own kind of music scene over there, or some other specific place, right? Because, you know, we sing about these locations in Texas. And even if we're not like, name dropping rivers and yeah. and that whole kind of like stereotypical cheesy quote unquote thing but um there's just something about like our culture the way we are raised down here right yeah. i mean it's just very different as a whole compared to a lot of the other a lot of the rest of the country um there's there's a very strong sense of pride yeah. You know, uh, i caution on the word nationalism because that <laughs> just seems to be like so um, 
grossly interpreted these days. Yeah. And I don't want anyone to think I'm referring to like Nazis or anything, but I just, what I mean is Texas, we think of ourselves as a nation. Yeah. You know, we, we, we're our own country. Texas nationalism. Yeah. That's fair enough. So There's no stigma I just that. think, yeah, we have our own music scene. We yeah. have our own scene of music that, that um, people support. And um, it's, you know, it's just very uniquely different than anywhere else in the country. I mean, yeah. I, I think the Seattle... Portland, that kind of Northwest Coast rock scene yep. is probably, you know, maybe as close as it gets to kind of mimicking what we do. Yep. You could even maybe even argue like the Southeastern uh, kind yep. of style, the Georgia and, style, yeah, and even a little bit of that, uh, you know, Southern rock um, kind of has its own thing. But still, there's just nothing infrastructure-wise like we have in Texas, where there's yep. venues stacked on top of each other across the state and you can play a city four times a year and they're yep. not going to burn your crowd out, which is crazy. Yeah. Infrastructure. Absolutely. Fans are absolutely part of that. It's hard to define the actual style of the genre mm -hmm. because it's, especially in its heyday, when you have, you have Jack Ingram, whiskey Myers, Kevin Fowler. Yeah. You have some very different styles of music all under the same umbrella. It could all play a festival. It, it is a little weird like that. But, but you know what? In the same sense, it's kind of like that with um, national mainstream country. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's Luke yeah. Combs. Yeah. And there's Miranda Lambert. And there's Carrie Underwood. And there's Carly Pierce. And, um, you know, there's Florida Georgia Line. And, um, yeah. you know, there's a whole spectrum of music that kind of gets put under the same umbrella. So right. it's almost the same in Texas. I yeah. think, you know, it just, there's some different styles. Yeah. There's more singer songwriter guys. There's more rock bands. Um, then you got your honky tonk cowboy hat wearing, yeah. you know, fiddle playing bands. And I don't know, we fall in there somewhere. You could, you could tour in the state of Texas and you specifically could put on jab fest mm -hmm. specifically in Lubbock. And how many tickets would you sell? average on a jab fest in lubbock texas we this was supposed to be year 10 i say supposed Gosh. to be because i really don't think that we'll be able to have a jab fest i understand but, um, that i'm hoping i'm wrong um but we've had it nine years and i'm pretty sure we've sold out the saturday night starting in year three every year how many tickets is that oh uh, a little over seven thousand and then uh we added a friday night show a few years ago and we've sold it out a couple times, but we don't play both nights. We did one time, and uh, I honestly didn't enjoy playing two nights in a row because I just kind of wanted to hang. So um, now we just have it to where we have other bands headline the Friday night, and I I'm off. I just get to hang yeah. and visit with them and friends and family so that when Saturday comes around and it's a show day, I'm not distracted by all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's pretty. It's it's been great. That, I mean, that's just an unbelievable number. Seven thousand hard away. tickets. Most people away, especially from the mainstream national. It's unbelievable. People that are listening to this, you know, that are your fans from across the country, or they they might not even know who I am, right? And they because of this podcast, they will they'll discover me. And for them to hear that we have venues where we put five thousand plus people in mm -hmm. there, they're probably like, "What the? F you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Who? And, yeah. And um. That's what, again, that's going back to what we talked about originally. It's that's what makes Texas music so unique. Yeah, we could have a, a chart system with number one songs. Yeah. 
selling merch. I mean, I learned merch from Texas Country. Agreed. I mean, far beyond anyone I've, I've ever seen. You know, it's funny. Hold on. Let me, let me. <laughs> one, when, when I've been asked this question before about what's the difference between Texas Country and mainstream country, I'm like, you know what? Honestly, we don't put our faces on our shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and we just talked about this off, off camera. I've never seen a Texas Country artist. Yeah. Uh, put their face like on a shirt, yeah. like a tour shirt, and yeah. sell it at shows. Yeah. But every mainstream artist does it, and it's—I have no idea why there's a difference. I don't either, except for when we first started to open up for national acts, and and our merch we'd have like ten times the merch. Yes. They would, yeah, we, we would be a nobody. Yeah, we have and twenty they shirts. Understand <laughs> it. And the, the other tour managers would be saying, "Hey, you, know, you got to limit your merch. Yeah. This is crazy. You got to take some of your Can't lights the down. Openers. Those grids are way too <laughs> yeah. high. Looks like old Navy setup. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. But we learned that partly yeah. because that was just a big part of our income. Yeah. And Donahue taught me that early on. That's one of the things I learned. Yeah, quick from Fowler him. taught me. Donahue and Watson, man. And got to throw when, Fowler in there because he for sure that All that dude guys. he would take me. He would take me as a nobody opening act and bring me over to the merch table at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And then as this endless line of people were coming to take a picture or get something signed, he would say, did you, did you meet Granger? Yeah. And, and you know what, man? A lot of artists do that. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that separates us because, first of all, just the act of signing. Yeah. How many country artists on the national mainstream charts sign autographs after shows? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not. I'm not critiquing that because for some of them that would be that would be hor- that would be a really horrible experience for them, right? They get done playing to a huge show and they go out there to sign autographs and they're there for five hours, you know. Yeah. And then what people don't understand is that's not really fair to the venue and the staff who've been there all day long. And now, you know, if you sign autographs for hours and hours and hours, it's cool for the fans, but all those people that work there. Yeah. You know, it's not really cool for them. And they hated so, it when we go to Nebraska or yes, Iowa. And pe- pe- the bouncers would hate it. So you have to learn that balance. But that's a big difference, I think, between the two scenes as well. Is just the, oh, that, I think we just have a closer relationship with fans. I mean, because, you know, we're all from Texas, right? Yeah. Most of us. So it's kind of like, you know, you your fans probably are friends with someone you went to high school or college with. Yeah. At least early on. Yeah. Or, you know, even as you've, I've been around now for... <laughs> A little bit but uh now you know i meet people all the time who hey i moved next door to your old roommate from college and so there's just a real kind of closeness to that you know yeah. the proximity feels really close whereas you know you're not going to find that in mainstream quite as much because yeah. you're looking at the country as opposed to the state yeah just, there, there's a there's a feeling in the crowd in a texas country concert there's a feeling that hey I want to do that. I, I could do that. Mm-hmm. I could make a CD. It's literally and what I start said. a band and do that. It's literally what I said when I went and watched. So take me to that moment. Um, so I was already playing guitar. Started playing guitar probably around 21, um, 20, 2021. Um, not the year, <laughs> the <laughs> age. It was a long time ago. And uh, I started writing songs maybe in 2004. Three, somewhere in there, you know. And um, I was going to the Blue Light in Lubbock because I was yeah. going to Texas Tech. And, um, you know, Wade Bowen was obviously, a, he was the guy everybody listened to because he was a Tech alumni. He was just older than me by a couple years. So um, everybody loved Wade. And then all of a sudden through that, I started hearing about Randy Rogers' band. 
mm-hmm. and Eli Young Band. And mm-hmm. I mean, we would we would listen to their CD at the pre-party, and we'd all roll up there together. We'd pay our ten bucks or whatever, seven bucks to get in. Yep. And we'd watch these bands, and I remember just feeling so, um, m- just what's the word I'm looking? Infatuated, obs- just inspired by. There's this little stage, and there's this band that looks like they're having the time of their life, and they're playing their own songs. Yeah. I've never heard any of them until a friend of mine gave me this CD and said, you should listen to this. Yep. And you know, I would always be like, well, how come they're not on the radio? And it's like, it's a different thing you'll, you'll learn. You know? and yep. Because for me growing up, even though I grew up in Lubbock, Texas country was not a really, it wasn't a thing that was played on the radio like it is today. Yes. Now it's very normalized. But back then, you never heard it on the radio. So no. I was like, you know, who are these guys? Which makes it even more cool. And yeah, and so I remember I was at specifically I was at a Randy Rogers show one night at Blue Light. And I just remember being like, I can do this. I could totally be that guy. Like I'm I'm an okay singer and I'm an okay writer. And and looking back now, it's both there's a there's a mixture of being naive and maybe cocky in those statements, but I'd like to think it was just more confidence. I was just like, I can totally do that. So I started writing songs, put together the band with my fraternity brothers, and we just started playing Blue Light once a week. And, you know, I won't I won't lie about it. I mean, I think part of the reason we caught some success early on, um, if, you know, if I'm being humble about it, is uh, we were all in a fraternity, right? Mm-hmm. And um, specifically my bass player at the time, shout out Neil Huey, um, he was, he was pretty popular in our fraternity, and a lot of people just love Neil. So we would go play Blue Light on Tuesday, Wednesday night. Am I talking close enough to the mic here? I think you'd be all right. Okay. I didn't know. But, yeah, they are pretty directional. Um, and so, anyway, we, we'd show up. Well, we were the it thing to do on Tuesday night. So, you know, every, all our fraternity brothers, would not all of them, but a bunch of them would come out, and they'd bring their girlfriends. Well, they'd bring their sorority sisters and roommates, and then they'd bring their boyfriends. Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There were some nights where there was 50 people there. But there were a lot of nights where in college, and there's it's sold out on a Tuesday night. And me and all the guys are making like 500 bucks each. And we think <laughs> we are kings. Like, yeah. it does not get better than this, right? Like, yeah. this is great. And, um, yeah, it just kind of went from there. And what's crazy is, and I, I say this a lot, but sometimes those days... Uh, it's all relative to where you are in your life because maybe that was maybe it didn't get any better than that because well, those yeah. were pretty awesome nights. They were pretty great, you know. Mm-hmm. When you're the and five hundred at the time when you're a college kid, five hundred bucks is a lot of money. When you're single college dude, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you can pl- pack out the blue light yes. and not have to worry about traveling expenses. Make five hundred bucks. It's not a bad deal, but you know, you realize real quick can't do that forever right so you have to at some point parlay that and take the next step and that's what we did so took the next step a couple of the band members changed because they just didn't want to they honestly did it for fun and they didn't want to be in a touring band they just didn't want that life and uh so me and the banjo player stuck it out we found preston on the fiddle and we found eddie on the drums and literally the four of us have been you know worked together since 2008 it's a hard thing at the beginning, finding guys that you say, hey, we got a gig on Friday. I know you have a job, but we got to leave at like 2 p.m. 
Yeah. And they're like, man, I, I can't get off till five. I know. And eventually you got to say, you can't be in this band anymore. Yeah. And it's funny you say that. So again, I was in grad school. The rest of the band was all in college, except for like Eddie, our drummer. He was, he had already finished his uh, music, um, his two year program at South Plains music school. And so, um, Preston was in school in Amarillo at West Texas A&M um, or Kenton Canyon, just outside of Amarillo. And, and so my, I was like, he's such a great fiddle player and a fun dude to hang with. And I love the kid. Like uh, we'll adjust on his schedule. So we had like, we set it up to where Thursdays, um, we had to play within three hours of Lubbock max. Sure. So we would never take a gig past that. So luckily for us in the Texas scene in Lubbock, we would play Amarillo, Midland, Odessa, San Angelo, Abilene, Wichita Falls, or Lubbock. Yeah. That's and that's the, what we'd play on Thursday night. And then from there we'd route it right, and we'd go to like Dallas, Fort Worth, Hill Country, San Antonio, Austin, and then on Saturday we'd we might venture to East Texas, Corpus, Houston, and then Sunday the long drive all the way back to Lubbock. And that's yeah. what we did for a couple of years living out there. And then we all finally kind of moved and relocated in 2010. When things were hopping. A little bit, yeah. Things yeah. were hopping a little bit. Um, um, in in uh, the spring of 2010 is when She's Like Texas came out, which was kind of the... That, that's what changed the game for us. Because not only did we have that uh, song, She's Like Texas, which has become just kind of a massive regional success story. Um, changed your life. It changed my life. Uh, and then we followed that up with the duet I did with an unknown artist at the time named Casey Musgraves. Mm-hmm. And uh, the music video is pretty wild, isn't yep. it? For everybody listening that doesn't know, Granger and his wife are in uh, the music video. And I don't want to give away the plot because it's actually like a little controversial. <laughs> it was all your idea. It was. You've I always came had up with really good thing. ideas about music and, videos. Uh, but y'all's makeout scene is still... It's top notch. That's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's underrated because, you know, because we were never a big band at that time. So it never got the attention it deserved, but that's, that's a cool music video. And I appreciate you being in it. Of course, man. Fun fact, Amber was pregnant with London on that shoot, (laughs) not showing yet. So, and she's eight now. So that's, I just remember being like, I knew it was your wife, but I was like, you know, if we're, no, you know what? I can't tell the story because I don't want to, to ruin the plot for the video, but she was like, she did not, you know, she was like, she didn't want to kiss me. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, well, yeah. look, I don't blame you. It's fine. I totally get it. I'm not here as good looking as your, as your husband. But this doesn't, we're just acting here, right? Like this doesn't have to be real. And she kissed me on the cheek and, uh, and, and it worked for the video. Because really it didn't need to be any more than that. So we'll, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll link that music video top of the description. So Tears you can in see my it. eyes right now. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. Uh, amazing memories. So, where do you think, go back to Texas country, where do you think it came from? This thing that became so huge and so regional and so accessible to a young musician and so appealing to a fan that had a, a lot of state nationalism. And it wasn't just Texas. I mean, Oklahoma jumped on board. Sure. Arkansas jumped on board. Louisiana jumped on board. New Mexico did. So Oklahoma more so. Yeah. I mean, I would yeah, almost yeah. argue they have something different than what's Texas country. We all get looped in together, Texas country, red dirt country. I think there's two very distinct sounds and approaches. So where did all of this come from? Well, you know, that's a great question. And while I don't pretend to be a historian, I would say you take a look at like, I hope I'm using this word correctly, the epistemology, Mm -hmm. the way we view the world, right? 
I think that's what that means. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so in Texas, again, we have, you know, we come from descendants of people who, you know, want Texas to be their own country again. Right. So yep. there's that very independent sense among us. So it creates this pride and we're a big state. Yeah. So that allows for, geography helps for sure yeah, for, for a lot of area to, to kind of sing about and cover. Um, and you know, honestly, I just think some Do you know sort who started it? there's always been, I don't, but I think there's always been some sort of disdain for the mainstream radio, yeah. which is so funny because, you know, I listen to old country from the seventies and eighties and I, I'm like, Oh, love this. Yeah. But at the time, the guys who were in the Texas country scene, they knocked on it. Yeah. You know, Terry Allen, you know, he's, he's got a song uh, called the flatland farmer who talks about this farmer out in the middle of the country who never got famous, but he, um, he can, he can out pick out play any Nashville star. Yeah. And uh, we, we actually covered that song yeah. on one of our records, but um, anyway, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to get too wordy here. I'm not a historian. I, th- I bet there are some guys that probably have a better understanding of maybe who started it and how it dominoed here. I mean, I can recite you a bunch of names, especially from the Lubbock area, you know, going all the way back to like the Flatlanders and even before them. Yeah. Um, but the word know, of mouth is just, it's, it's unreal how that worked because this was before really social media at all. And it was word of mouth that mm-hmm. was taking these concerts. Like for instance, uh, I, I was in College Station in the early 2000s, and I remember seeing Pat Green. Cora Mora was opening at Shadow Canyon, old club there, right there on the university. And it was just packed. I mean, slam-packed. And everyone knew all the words, including me. Everyone had the record, including me. Yeah. And then Corey starts the show, everyone knew all the words, and everyone had the record. And... That was just, uh, no one thought about it in terms of, is this guy on the radio or not? It, was, it represented a good time with our friends. And yeah. Pat sang about all the, he was the background music to all of our fun parties that we had. And so was Corey in the year 2000. And that became the soundtrack to our lives then. And I think there's something attractive about the unknown, Right? Like yeah. moths to a flame. There's something about that because in the process of discovery with music, I mean, don't you even still to this day, you discover, you might listen to a band who has one song and you're like, oh my God, I love them. I got to share this. Right? Yeah. And you want to be able to, you want to be the guy to share it with your friends and be like, y'all got to listen to this because I think this is going to blow up. This is huge. Yeah. You know, I still do it all the you're time. You're really good at that. And well, your you know, social always, media platform is always... <laughs> partly been really helping uh younger artists i I love doing it and uh i I think if if i was going to have a job in the music industry besides being a singer it'd be a and r because i've just always had um some sort of natural um ability to to see a star you know even when they weren't necessarily yeah shining bright at the time but to me it's always like you see a star you know it you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Everyone knew you were super talented. You just had to like get out of the Texas country scene <laughs> and sign a record deal and, and crush it, you know? And seriously, hats off to you because 
I mean, you've done it. You've accomplished so much. Well, my record deal came way later. Uh, so did yours. Yeah. We didn't sign a record deal until 2015. Um, really? And it's crazy. What before. All the stuff that happened before that, it's crazy to think um, that was all brought on by the infrastructure of Texas country. For sure. You know, I remember you did a quote one. You did an interview um, years ago, and uh, you talked about how the Texas country scene was kind of like the – it was, it was almost like the leagues. minors that would yeah, prepare that, for the majors. That was and, a notorious quote. You know what, though? I I didn't think that you were necessarily wrong. I think that just some people in Texas kind of took it wrong because, again, no one wants to feel inferior to any other genre or any other state. Yeah. But I totally got what you meant. Yeah. What you meant by that was it trained you to visit radio. It trained you mm-hmm. to get your band and crew and infrastructure set. And it trained you in a way that like when you when you signed your record deal and you started touring nationally and being on national like big tours with all these other huge artists you were way more prepared than for that than that, let's say the normal act who had moved out to Nashville signed a record deal had the first song on the radio and then got put on a tour yeah and they had no clue how to tour as a band. Oh, man, absolutely. They have no clue what they're doing with their merch. Absolutely. And um, I totally got what you meant by it. So just know, I remember you texted, so fans should know this. You're such a good guy that you texted me an apology for making that statement. And I remember replying to you it was like, a dark you do time not have to apologize for this statement because I get what you meant. And if people want to like misconstrue that, then you can't. You can't be responsible for interpretation. Let you me just take can a quick, be responsible for intent. I want to take a quick break on here, and then I want to—I'll tell you what I said in the interview that became notorious. So I was. This was coming off of um, a national radio hit for me, and an, a, a, a reporter said, "How do you attribute?" having this hit coming from nothing and having this hit on national radio. And I said, well, it came from Texas country. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what is, what, what does Texas country mean to you? And I said, man, it's everything to me. It taught me everything I know. It taught me, just like you said, it taught me how to make my first radio call, how to walk into a radio station and say, here's me and here's my band and here's my song. It was the minor leagues for everything in terms of, training it trained you. but that one quote again got got screenshot yeah. out of an article and then it started it floated around and there was a couple guys that took it really bad um yeah. a lot of guys probably were neutral on it and a couple of guys um actually defended me i talked to all of them all of the above i talked to everybody because i know you did when that came out it, it crushed me because i thought here i am thinking I'm trying to pay homage yeah. to the only reason I'm actually standing on this stage. Yeah. And it, the whole thing collapsed underneath me. Again, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be prophetic, but again, you cannot be responsible for interpretation. You have to be responsible for intent. Your intent was pure. And anyone that knows you knows that. So if anybody wants to misconstrue it and be, and be an asshole, they can be an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I stand to this day saying I'm nothing in my music career without Texas country and the infrastructure that it taught me, the grind that it taught me, yeah. the resilience and, and persistence that it taught me through, through a lot of times at the, at the midnight rodeos when we were having a really bad night and uh, no dude, one was there. And, and I got back in the van and decided to go do it again. Yep. And a lot of national acts that sign a record deal right out of the gate, they don't ever have that opportunity. They don't do that. They never do that because 
first of all, they're shielded. Their booking agency yeah. and label won't let them go put themselves out there and be vulnerable and show up and play to yeah. nobody. It's not their fault, to their credit. They, they didn't have what me and you had. Right. They just they hunker down, they visit radio, they get a hit, then they go on tour, and then yeah. they open for somebody who's big, so you're naturally in front of crowds. And, it's and just then you get a false, a false reading on how you're doing. For sure. There's, a, there's acts that will go for years never headlining their own show. I'm not mm. even at a club. I know. They spend years on the road with somebody big, and they think, I think things are pretty good. I think the crowd loves me. And then they go out for the first time at, at Cotton Eye Joe's or whatever in Knoxville, and no one comes, and they cannot understand it. And yeah. so then they just they think they need to rethink their whole sound and, and they everything think, they do. Yeah, and they think they have to um, pander and play a bunch of covers. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, you exactly. know what? I mean, hey, let's, you know, we, we don't want them to be bored tonight, so let's, you know, let's play 10 covers. Or you, yeah. you're going to play 20 songs, you play 10 covers. Yes. You know, and I know when you're a young band, you don't have a lot of originals. So that's, you know, there's something to be said for that. But it's like, I mean, I've gone out and I've seen some of these, you know, shows where, of people. And I'm like, you know, they might have one hit, right? Yeah. And they're opening and they're playing a 25-minute time slot. Well, the other five songs were covers. I'm like, yeah. you just played me five cover songs and then your hit. You didn't take this opportunity it's, to show all these people that you have more than the one you're right. song? You're right. It's so weird. And you me. said the right word. They're, they're, they haven't understood the vulnerability of standing there and delivering an original music. And maybe they're not going to clap at you. Maybe they're going to go to the bathroom or go get a drink. And that is really <laughs> that kind of rejection is really hard one to of get our, used to. One of our very – I wish my band was in here with me because we laugh about these stories all the time. One of our first gigs – when again we signed with Bruce, he puts us out on the road. God bless Bruce, but at the time, you know, he was still very young and green in his career, right? Yep. So he's doing the best he can. He books us. <laughs> I think we were getting like five or six hundred bucks to play a steakhouse in mm -hmm. Madisonville. Mm -hmm. I always remember mm -hmm. that. So we go there. And we get we get like free food, and so that that alone is kind of worth yeah. it, right? For a bunch of yeah. young dudes and. So we set up and play. There's only like three people there listening to us. And I kid you not, at one point, I don't think anyone was in there except for the waiter pushing the broom across the floor in front of us, like cleaning. And I was like, okay, we have to have a little more pride than this, you know? Yeah. I mean, we may be nobodies, but yeah. we're not doing any good playing to nobody. You know, like we've got to be, we have to get in front of people. So then my whole philosophy flipped to, I'm going to open for everybody and anybody. And I don't care if it pays 50 bucks, 500 mm -hmm. bucks, or $0. Yep. I want to be in front of a crowd. You know what I mean? Yep. My goal as a young artist was, I want to open and I want people leaving talking about the opener. Yep. So I would just fire up my guys every night. We're bringing it tonight. Every night we're bringing it. And, you know, it works when you're a young band and you're a new band and there's an infectious energy to that. Yeah, absolutely. You are the first uh, music artist I've had on this podcast. Really? You're the first. I'm honored. You're the first. So, you're, yeah, we're getting uh, some good conversation. And I've told a lot of stories on here about music and, uh, and about those early days. Mm -hmm. But you're the first artist that's uh, backing these stories up with me. That's I'm honored. Thanks, buddy. Of course, man. Um, so outside of Texas country, you've also over the last decade 
you've you've made it through being i mean essentially the king of the genre <laughs> maybe we had our moment for a couple years i think that we were it's hard to, you know i, I use Not that i think you were I use that term king very cautiously cuz you know it's every, people like who they like and you know every, there's a lot of big popular bands but i do think that you know in texas country there's been a torch that's been passed and it's kind of gone from pat to ragweed maybe and then to randy obviously and i i think you know we carried that torch for a couple years of kind of being the it band in texas and man what a time i, I wish we could i wish i could relive those days in a way i wish i wish i wish i could relive that success and moment with my life now if that makes sense yeah because you know i have a wife and two kids and i would approach good. it a lot differently and that's what i was going to say over that over that course of time being the king of texas country you also experienced the same highs and lows that any major celebrity would go through mm-hmm. in high, such high demand. And you, you lived your life out in the open, partly because you had to because you were in such a huge spotlight. But, uh, but I watched you mm-hmm. go through highs and lows in oh, front yeah. of everyone. Mm-hmm. And through all that, I, my hat's off to you for how for for you sitting here today and uh and still maintaining the integrity that you have as a person and as a friend but you yeah well but you've been through some low stuff yeah i mean and we can dance around it i can just talk about it for a second i was married previously i was a really shitty husband really shitty i was so focused on my career i was so selfish i drank way too much every single day and I just had insecurities, and, and, and I was just a bad uh, person, I think, for a couple of years there. And, um, and so we ended up getting a divorce, and, uh, and I deserved it. And I think that was a moment where I really had to reassess my life. Like, is this what you want, Josh? You know, like, yeah, you've played all these sold-out shows. Yeah, you got a record deal at the time. I mean, we had one, and it was like, but now you've lost, you know, the person who really loves you and her whole family and a bunch of your fans kind of, you know, just don't have the same positive view of you. And I'm like, I don't want this one thing to, to define my narrative because I mean, I don't think I'm a bad guy. I don't think I'm that guy. I think I just, uh, I was a bad guy for a short amount of time. And so it's hard to admit that, but, um, I think I grew from it in a way where I'm proud of where I'm at now. I mean, um, I don't have any issues with the things that I used to have issues with and have a, a wife and two kids now. And life is beautiful in a way that if my music career goes away, which right now it is, right? Like no one's yeah, touring. No one, no one I have a no music right career right yeah. now. But I mean, if it goes away and I have to go get a normal job, I'm actually fine with that because... Uh, I love where my life's at right now. It's just a happier place. And so, yeah, highs and lows, man. I mean, uh, there's been yeah. a lot of them. And if anyone, if anyone doesn't understand, uh, let, me, let me paint the scene for you. Josh skyrockets to the top of Texas country. And I hope that we've done a good job defining what that is, if you don't know what that is. But the fact is, you... You rose so fast from the the boy that was in Lubbock, Texas, looking at the stage at Randy Rogers saying, I want to do that, to just a few years later, Mm -hmm. you're making, you know, any kind of tour date 
sell out. Sell out. I'm talking if there's a festival, you're probably headlining it. Or, or direct support. Or direct support. I mean, we're right But there. you're equal. And we have no, we haven't earned it. Yeah. We have no tenure. We have no, you know, you have to pay your dues. I don't think we paid our dues long enough, and I think that caught some resentment from the traditional longtime fans of the scene as well as some other bands who just honestly didn't like to be, they didn't like a new guy bypassing them. Yeah. So if you're, if you're trying to put yourself in Josh's shoes, imagine, imagine that where you're in such high demand, you're, you're fending off the haters that don't understand why you've, you've come up so quickly. Um, you're trying to satisfy everyone that loves your music so much. They don't want you to change. They want you to just keep spitting out the same record over and over they do. again. And I'm like, those those records we put out early on, there's some stuff I love about them, but there's a lot I don't. Like, yeah. if I could restart my career now, right, I wouldn't put a song like Taste out. Yeah. And that sounds hypocritical because if we hadn't put that song out, I don't know that I'm here right now. Because sure. that song created such a magnetic, you know, following. I mean, it, you could go to to the to the to the river or the lake or anywhere across Texas after that song came out and people were playing it. Yep. And um you know, but I wouldn't put that song out now. And uh even a song like She's Like Texas, I'd polish that up a little bit better. There's some there's some lines in there that that's are a little a, bit man, loose. That's understandable. And uh um, but you can't you they're they're pieces of history that are forever part of you. They are and it and, doesn't matter. Well the process informs the results. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I can second guess things, wish I hadn't done certain things, but all of these things have led to a moment now where I'm yeah. good. I'm I was good. in Tuscaloosa, Alabama on the bus. We we're playing a club that night. I'll never forget it. And it was probably three o'clock in the afternoon, sitting on the bus, just finished sound check. My my crew starts kind of grumbling. You seeing this? You seeing this? It's like what? Josh, you see this? Josh. Start passing the phone around. And you are public on Twitter yeah. about your your current separation from your current wife. Oh, yeah. and That was dumb. I wish I could take that back. Too. I don't know. I don't know. Because what I was about to say is you, you could have you lived that privately. Mm-hmm. But I think I would like to think that you inspired a lot of people to live life in truth and light and honesty. That was the goal. It really was. And I think it that's was, what you did. That's what I read in those, those tweets. It was, you know what? This happens a lot. And I promise I'm not the only person that's guilty of cheating on their wife and being an alcoholic out here on the road and all sorts of other stuff. And I would never name names, right? Sure. But there are a, a bunch yeah. of other people who are guilty of those More things. More than not. And have gone through divorces themselves. But yeah. Everyone's so scared. Keep it so quiet. You're right. Don't want to damage their reputation. And I think that was just a moment for me where I was just over the fakeness and was like, I used this celebrity path. I use the word celebrity pretty loosely, but you know what I mean? The being in the limelight, being in, um, no, that's, that's a real word. Being on the radio, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, there's, there's different levels of celebrity, but any of that, man, you can't, but, um, you know, but if I, I, the way I felt about it was if I was going to use that path and trajectory of kind of getting my music out there, being on the radio and playing shows and being the guy, it would be really, you know, disingenuous, fraudulent, whatever you want to call it for me to like 
not admit my failures to. Like, this can't just be a narcissistic praise everything I do, which is, I'm so over the narcissism that I see on a daily basis on yeah. social media from other artists. But, um, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. And we're all guilty. There's there's a balance of self-promotion yeah. and narcissism. <laughs> yeah, because we are still a product, but at the same time, you got to be real. you got to be real. And, that and, day, and I wanted to be real with real. people. Um, you played a show that night too, didn't you? I did. Because it was like a Saturday. I played with Randy. Opened for Randy uh, in Wichita, Kansas. And he um, immediately after I posted, I'm on the bus, I'm in the back, I'm bawling. And uh, he comes over there and just, he literally just walks in the back lounge and just sits next to me, gives me a hug. He's like, hey, buddy, I wish you would have talked to me before you posted this. You know, he encouraged me to, you know, probably the smartest thing in the world would be to delete it and try to cover up a little, you know, bit and save some face. But, uh, it was too late and I just didn't, I was just in, I wasn't thinking I was just in a really bad spot. I just knew my life was crumbling, you know? I mean, we were on the record label for a couple of years at that moment. We still hadn't had a single to radio, you know, here it is. My life's falling apart. And <laughs> it's like Johnny cash moment for me, you know, and walk the line, you know, yep, where you, yep. you reach that point where it's like, Okay, you better get your shit together, dude. And so I'd like to think that since then I, I got my shit together. You definitely have. Um, as you mentioned now, beautiful wife, two beautiful children. Um, and so looking back on that tweet, does it not feel like you? that's part of your life and you need it to live that? But you know what? It, there's also a part of me. I, I wince. I cringe at the idea of my daughter talking to me about it one day. Yeah. Dad, how could you do that? Why were you such a bad husband to your first wife? And you're going to, you still have a long time to and plan out that answer. Is, you know, there's, I almost feel like I carry a scarlet letter on me. I don't anymore, but for years I did. Um, in fact, we, when we released Front Row Seat album, I almost made the album cover a, an A and it for Abbott, but also mm. right the scarlet wow. letter. So, um, but, it sucks for my wife, right? My wife now, who's everything and is so gracious and perfect for me in my life, and I would do anything for her. But does it? But I think it sucks for her because I put myself out there like that, and now there's people think like, oh, that's her husband. I bet, you know, I bet he oh, I gotcha. does that to her too. And she probably, you know, I think she's probably self-conscious of some of the things and mistakes I've made in my past and probably embarrassed by them, but... In the same sense, if I hadn't gone through that road, right, that's I wouldn't be with the, her now and have the these thing. kids. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, you know, you, you know, people say I, I wouldn't change a thing. I would change some things, right? But I would hope that my path got right back to here. Yeah. <laughs> and when you change things, am I not? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I that you have a long time to come up with that answer to your daughter, but it's somewhere along the lines of, baby, let me tell you. I have made mistakes. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much. And then I learned from those mistakes. And then I got better. And then I met your mama. And yeah. she taught me she how to my love. Life. Yeah, my and, wife. And she in a way that I've never known. And then you were born. Mm -hmm. And then I looked into your eyes for the first time. And you taught me a new kind of love that I didn't think I was capable of having. Agreed. All because of my broken past. I bawled my eyes out when my daughter was born. The moment. 
I got to hold her. I mean, I was crying. Same for my son, too, but really, <laughs> he'll listen to this one day and be like, what the hell, Dad? <laughs> More for my daughter because, you know, I, I just, I get it. after yeah. going through everything I went through, I didn't think that I would have a family. I was like, oh, that ship sailed, right? I'm just going to be the single bachelor guy for the rest of my life, probably. And maybe if I get married one day, I'll just marry someone who already has kids, right? Um, so having a daughter in that way was just, uh, it changed, it just changed everything for me. Um, and, uh, I'm proud of, um, of my life now and I'm proud of, you know, what we're doing. And, um, you know, we might not be our band. We're not as probably as popular as we used to be because, um, you know, when you're the it band, it only lasts so long, right? It, it goes away. It goes away for everyone. Right now, Luke for Combs. Everyone. Luke Combs is the it guy for country music. Yeah, and he is he is badass and probably going to stay at that level for a long time. But at some point, he'll he'll be the he'll be the guy with five or six albums instead of two albums. Right? It also doesn't mean he's any happier than you are, or in yeah. a better place in life than you are. Yeah, I don't know. And you know that. Oh well, no, no, you do know that. Yeah. And ever since I've known you for over a decade, you. You have a tendency in conversation to kind of backpedal and play yourself down a little bit. I do. You always have. <laughs> you did that when you were the king. Yeah. And and my point to all that is you you have you had that ability to rise so fast and to fall in love again and be renewed and then have children. You have all that ability. There's nothing to say that there's something on the horizon isn't even bigger than everything in your career-wise. I hope so, because I'm so proud of the music that we're putting out right now. The newest song that we put out, it's called The Luckiest. It's how we named our son, Luck. I think it's the best song we've ever put out. What else matters then? And and the thing is, is every artist says that. Every artist says their newest song is the best song they've ever put out. But ask me in five years, because I'm going to tell you, Luckiest is my favorite song. I think it speaks to my life, the direction, the gratefulness, and my kids, and the appreciation for everything that's come along the way. You know, that's a love song not only to my wife and kids, but it's also a love song, honestly, to the fans, too. Like, right? In that song, I don't know that you've heard it, it says, you know, I can't believe the life I've been given. Yeah, I'm lucky. I know it's true. But I feel the luckiest to be loved by you. So good. And I think that's, I'll be able to sing that to the fans every night and be like, I'm lucky because of y'all. Y'all all paid a concert ticket price to come here, and some of you bought our shirt. There's millions of bands that you could spend your money on, and you came to do it for mine. And I don't want to take that for granted. Especially when we get to play again. <laughs> One it's day. Gonna, that's going to even mean it more to us, to guys yeah. like us, that people are risking a lot more just to see us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we'll even feel that gratefulness even more. But, man, if you say that your latest song is your best, I don't think anything else matters in your past. Yeah. Well, you because know what? you say every that. artist says it, but I don't think you can really believe it mm-hmm. unless it's real. Yeah. Oh, I believe it. You know, I believe it. Let's take a quick break, and then I want to talk about um, possibly post-music for you. Let's do it. So, politics. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk. You knew I had to go here. Yeah, everybody everybody sees that. I'm probably post more about politics than a lot of other artists, I would say. Do you have aspirations in the political world? I'll say this. Yes. Yeah. 
even ever since I was in college, I thought I wanted to be in politics, but I didn't know that I wanted to be the politician. When I got out of college, between college and grad school, I actually worked on a political campaign on a on a uh, repres- on a representative uh, elect- campaign, and um, I realized real quick I did not want to be on on the political team unless I was the politician. Just a lot, right. of, a lot of grinding for not a lot of pay and yeah. kind of saw the trajectory of that. And I just, I never wanted to move to Washington, D.C. anyway. So I was just kind of quickly like, yeah, you know, if I'm ever going to be in politics, I'm going to be, I'm going to stick to Texas and I'll cross that road down, down the line. But obviously I've been focused on my career for the last, I mean, like I said, we started touring, making it serious in 2008. So 12 years now, yeah. you know, been doing it for 14, but, um, I think I'm at a point now where it's an interesting, like, hmm, you know, and, and I've had talks with Governor Abbott and Senator Cornyn and some other elected officials, and they all know that I'm 50% serious about maybe running for governor one day. So Texas could see another Governor Abbott? They could, yeah, you know, but I won't run against Governor Abbott now. Well, what I did he say, just, by the way, What did, when you talked to him about it? Hey, thanks, it's great. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, what's what's he going to say? No, yeah. Josh, <laughs> yeah. you would hate this job. No, he's like, you know, if, if you're called to do it and you he's like, you know, I don't know if it was him that said it or Cornyn or someone else, but they're all kind of like the general consensus is, you know, normally when you're going to be in politics, you really have to work your way up to get that name recognition to be able to climb the ladder. Right. It's where right. you got to start local, small, you get bigger, 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 bigger. He's like. You know, you've spent the last 12 years getting name recognition on radio all across Texas. You have more name recognition than we than, than a lot of politicians do. Yeah. So, yeah, if you ran, you already have that going for you. So it's just got it's about, you know, um, wanting to accept the challenges that come with, you know, running for politics and then obviously being elected. So I, I do entertain the idea. My wife is very against it. Really? Very. So I won't run unless she unless she gives me her blessing. And I don't know if she will, because I think she's, you know, we, we have kids and I think she doesn't want to see my name and some of the things I've done in the past drug out again, all across the newspapers, which it's not like I've, you know, it's not like I had, had a DWI or murdered someone or anything, but I mean, I, you know, just being a country music singer and kind of going through the stuff I've gone through, um, you know, she's just afraid there might be a picture at leaks of me smoking pot. You know, there might be, uh, you know, some stories that come out that aren't flattering. Right. Um, because they were so long ago, but that's what we do. That's what, yeah. that's what our society does in elections and politics. It's yeah. nasty and it's find the dirt, even though that has nothing to do with someone's ability to, you know, actually, uh, you know, create policy and understand it and work with others. Uh, but that's what politics is. And so, um, anyway, yeah, long winded answer. I do want to run one day, but, uh, only if my wife will let me. So going back to the, tw- the tweet that we talked about, you know, when I was in Tuscaloosa and you're in Wichita, mm-hmm. that makes more sense though, to look back and go, yeah, I've, I've had some problems. Well, yeah, there's and no I've skeletons, up, right? Right. There's no <laughs> skeletons. No one's going to come up and go, I know something about Josh. You guys don't know. Yeah, I'd be like, tell me. Yeah. You know. Because you've been very public, What's and funny I think that's I, a good thing. I do still hear stories sometimes about me, <laughs> and they're completely wrong. Yeah. I mean, there's not even 1% accuracy to them. And, and it blows my mind because I have people be mad, be mad 
about <laughs> something they've heard from, uh, and, and it wasn't even true. Like, I'll give you an example. <laughs> a buddy of mine was eating. Uh, I think he had a Josh Abbott shirt. He's a good friend of mine, and he was eating at like a Mexican restaurant in uh, Mexican food restaurant in New Braunfels or something like that. And it was either the waitress, or the bartender, or something was like, you know, you like Josh Abbott? Ben? He was like. Yeah, yeah, I like his music. Yeah, well, she was like, F that guy. And he's like, why do you say that? And she's like, I heard he's got a kid in Abilene <laughs> that he never accepted or sees uh-huh. and and doesn't want anything to do with. And, and I honestly died laughing because I was like, this is just not true. So he found out the name of the person who's claiming this right right? and you know i looked her up on like instagram or facebook or something like that and i was like i never even met this person much less yeah created a child with them you know i don't even think i've ever talked to this person unless it was at a meet right so i mean like anyway that that, i probably shouldn't have even told that story child and abilene be like babe why do you tell these stories sounds like a new song a child in abilene oh no i'm not around that but it's just (laughs) funny because again you just you hear stories and you know, we live in a society where we accept truth hmm. at, immediately, right? Truth bias. We we read something in a tweet, it's true because yep. someone said it. Yep. And that makes no sense because there's no credibility to a lot of that stuff. But that's the world we live in. And so, you know, headlines and X amount of characters and short fragments, yep. um, they do damage. And so, again, I, I want to run for office. I think I'd be great at it. Because I am a Republican, but I have some Democratic views in terms of, like, social views, you know. Uh, And I think it's time that the Republican Party gets past the antiquated, you know, narratives of being against homosexuality and there's a problem with having these other things everything everything on the ticket has to be one ideology yeah that's a huge problem and that is a huge problem because if you don't cater to that you'll lose your you'll lose your base yeah but it's like well that's you know that's not what i believe so i'm like if i ever ran i'd be like yeah i'm a republican because i'm for small government I'm for, mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't want the national government coming in here and telling Texas how to handle itself. Yeah. Texas can do handle itself just fine. Um, but in the same sense, like I'm, you know, let's, let's put casinos on the coast. I mean, That's how, good many, idea. how many tax, how many dollars leave this state and go to New Mexico, Oklahoma, or Louisiana? How many billions, yeah. billions, right? Yeah go across the border to those places. Now, Vegas, you don't really count because that's a destination, but how many people drive across these the Texas border to go gamble in these other states? It's very true. And what if we had some casinos in Texas? And what if it was, you know, what if there was like a tax on it on those casinos? And, you know, p- p- people that are against it say, well, yeah, but you don't you don't understand what it decimates, it, what it does to the communities. I'm like, well, let's let the communities vote on it. You know, mm-hmm. because some of them may be so hungry for economic prosperity that they say, Maybe we can manage this responsibly as citizens mm-hmm. and police ourselves and not fall victim to some of the entrapments, so to speak, that occur with, um, you know, with a casino being in your city. So that legalized marijuana. I mean, why, did, why does Texas have to be so behind on it? I mean, there's yeah. so many states that have already done it. This means people have to do it. And yeah. it doesn't mean that we have to just full-blown, like, hey, any amount is fine. Smoke as much as you want. Like, there's still a lot of rules around it, right? Like, don't operate a vehicle. 
you know don't you can only have x amount and so forth and no, it's, it's been proven so many times but, that it's it's way but, easier on yourself than alcohol yeah but we alcohol is very legal you know gay marriage homosexual marriage what, what everybody uses different terms right but i mean why do i care if they get married now, on a on a level of church for church and state, I don't think that the country or the state should be able to tell a church they have to marry someone because that would go against maybe their yeah their their uh, you know belief system. Yeah. But if there is a church that says, "Yeah, we'll marry a gay couple," why can't they get married? Like, who cares? It does not bother me in my life. You know, why can't they have those rights? Why can't they have the ability to be on each other's insurance and things when they're partners together? Like, so when, I just, I, I wonder why we can't reach these compromises and the hypocrisy of it all is what kills me is because, you know, especially like I'm a Republican, but the Republican Party were the core of that is free will, right? Small mm-hmm. government, free will. We don't want the government telling us what to do. We want less regulations, less laws, Right. So why are we like no you can't be can't be gay married? No, no, we you have all these restrictions when it's convenient for some sort of like Christian conservative narrative, but even that I think's outdated. I think a lot of modern Christians while they necessarily wouldn't be like um yeah, homosexuality is is okay. I think a lot of people are now are like well, you know, the Bible definitely addresses it, but it addresses a lot of things we're all guilty of, right? And that's where I'm at. Yeah, like, my sin is no less or worse than someone else's. So You're right. There's a diff- and there's a big difference between church and state. And there's no, no apostles in the Bible. Never did they ever say, we have to overthrow the, gov- the, the Roman Empire because they're wrong and they need to be Christian. Mm-hmm. In fact, when the Roman Empire did become the Roman Catholic Empire, it actually was still really bad. Yeah, it was really sure. bad. For sure. So that having that separation of church and state, uh, you could you could you could worship your own way in your own church. Yeah. But the lawmakers could make laws, and it doesn't have to contradict each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we've we've kind of been caught up in that a lot. And you know, it's just like there's all these. Um you know, hypocrisies of the left too. I mean, there's, there's so many, right? The, the party of tolerant, but they don't want to be tolerant of people who don't believe what they believe, which makes no sense at all. Yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, in today's culture that we live in now, we, we see these race riots occurring and we see black lives matter as a political agenda and, 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 you know, a movement. And there's a balance to it all because you have to, the way you have to tread that, right? Like, um, you know, black lives do matter, right? All lives do matter. Um, and, but you can't, but you say one, it alienates the other somehow. Yeah. And I do think that there's probably some sort of, yeah, institutional racism that kind of still exists as a byproduct or from trickling down over the years, right? Like laws that were in place years ago that have just kind of only gone away in little bits. And today they're, you know, I, I do think that it's very obvious that the African-American, the black community is, is um, you know, covered in poverty and they need a hand. And, and um, you know, I, I don't know how to fix that. But I think when it really angers me when I see Republicans who don't think it's a big, don't think it's a problem. <laughs> what like, you, of course it's a problem. What you just said is interesting because no, this is that you said the exact sentence that no politician is allowed to say right now. 
I don't know how to fix that. But that's what we want them to say. Right. We want want someone to finally tell us, I don't know how to fix that, but I'm working on it. I'll put a committee together. And I'm putting all the best people I know on this, and we will figure it out. Right now, I don't have an answer. I just realize it's a problem. But they always feel like they have to talk. They always feel like they have to communicate like a solution. And sometimes it's, I don't know if I have a solution, and I don't know if my solution is the best one, but here's what we have. Yeah. You know, and and so, uh, but in the same sense, you know, these, I think the rioting and the burning and the looting and all that is just, it's really just painting and perverting what is a what can be a really positive moment in history for civil rights, you know? And uh, I think it's okay for Republicans to go, yeah, you know, clearly there's some sort of, you know, there's some sort of reason that African-American men are being killed at the rates that they are by police officers. And I know that I'm getting into such deep stuff, <laughs> right? I know that there are people who listen to this podcast who say, well, yeah, but what about black-on-black crime? Yeah, but that's... We're not talking about black-on-black crime. We're not talking about white-on-black crime. We're talking about police and African-American men. And there is some sort of weird correlation there. And I think we have to address that, you know. But in the same sense, I I don't personally feel like I can go out there and post and tag Black Lives Matter because... Even though, yes, those three words aligned together, yes, for sure they do. But it's become a political movement. Yeah. And that political movement accepts dollars and it becomes a pack and donates money yeah. to you know candidates across the country that I might not support. And I don't want to be bullied into supporting you cannot. something that I don't want to support. So, you know, if, you're, if you act one way, you're racist. If you act another way, you're not. And I just think the whole thing is bullshit. I think... Why can we not just look at this from a lens of common sense and agree that, you know what, uh, there's some truth to both sides, and let's find the real truth in the middle. So th- what's a, a reasonable timeline, your wife willing, that we could see Josh Abbott on a ticket one day? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, 10 years, 15 years? If she told me I could run in 2022 and Governor Abbott step- wasn't going to run for re-election, I would run. I just don't want to run against Governor Abbott because, you know, we have to share the same last name. First of all, it'd be just very confusing I think, <laughs> right? for voters. It really would be. Yeah. And um, and I like Governor Abbott, and he's in a weird spot right now because the whole world is looking at him um, because Texas, you know, opened up quote unquote too soon, and we saw COVID rates spike up again, and then he had to come in and do something he didn't want to do, and. That was shut the state back down. Yep. So he's, it's like he's damned if you do, damned if he doesn't. Yep. Like he's got both sides mad at him because he hasn't done it, quote unquote, the right way. And I'm like, he's in a no win spot. Let's all show him some grace. This is an unprecedented time in history. Like this is weird. We are the most developed country, you know, developed nation, developed in, in, in this time of the world. And we're undergoing this weird pandemic that, you know, really sets us back to, you know, times decades ago right yeah. like it feels like i feel like we're living in the 90s again where every mm-hmm. meal is at home and no one travels and goes out and yeah anyway i'm rambling now but uh you asked about the if i would run i, I yeah so i'd run in 2022 could, could be soon if my wife would let me yeah but i don't see her changing her mind in the next couple of years and i think governor abbott will run for re-election so whenever the next one would be 2026 okay 
All right. 2030? 2030 sounds good, man. It's well, 10 years from now, right? Yeah. Wait. I'm I, off I, on my years. I'm a dumbass. As far as when the election years are? Wait, no, I'm not off on my years because he's not running for governor right now. He's, and it's 2020 now. It's president's election. Yeah, so it's every 2022 other. 2022, right? yeah. I think, is when he's up. And then it would be 2026. And yeah. then 2030. So who knows? Maybe in 2030, that's the year okay. uh, that I run for governor. Uh, a, uh, and let's get that yee uh, yee nation vote. <laughs> we'll bring you back on to there, now, rekindle that. You know how many of your fans are so mad at me right now for some of my viewpoints? But that's the thing is I would just hope that people could listen to the the approach I'm coming from because I don't come from a very polarizing viewpoint of very far right or very far left i'm more yeah. right than left but i'm closer to that middle and i'd love to see more people get there and go yeah you know Man, i can concede that point i think a lot of people could use a little common sense when it comes to politics and it doesn't exist right now on either side yeah um we'll bring you back on the podcast in 2030 to uh <laughs> to, re- to rekindle that let's do it uh, hopefully many times between now and then but i'll, I'll end with this too the um the one, the one fraternity that, that me and you both belong to that neither one of us wanted to get into um, was we lost our dads. Mm-hmm. I lost my dad in 2014, and the first show I played back was with you in South Padre Island, Texas, yep. and opened up for you. I remember that. And uh, it was a terrible show for me personally, great crowd, terrible show for me personally. Um, I was just really going through the motions, and... Um, me and you had a good talk after the show. Um, one year later, right? The no, same. Several. Hey, what what year was it? My dad died in 2017. But it was March. It was. That's right. So same well, month. Mar- March 2nd, Texas Independence Day. Yeah, my dad was March 5th. Um, so the the night of the the invasion of the Alamo, or the uh, the the night then they breached the walls. So I, uh, hmm. um, I have this connection with you because I remember I reached out to you and um, you lost your dad a a similar way that I lost mine. And it was, I don't know why that I, that I took that really hard with you. Um, And I guess now knowing that it was three years, but the same month, three days apart, um, maybe it was that a point in my life where I had kind of come to an understanding that he was gone, and then you lost your dad, and it just, like I said, I don't know why, but it just really hit me hard. And I, think, I remember I think we're bawling. Friends. I think we're, we're friends, and we empathize with each other. And I remember bawling. Yeah, bawling, and and I I was I'm not a crier. I'm not. I don't just bawl all the time, but man, I, I really cried real tears um thinking about your dad who i'd never met Mm -hmm. and i remember thinking that where's the sadness coming from it's not my dad that i'm sad about it's not rekindling an old feeling i think it was me knowing your heart and how crushed it was was so devastating to me to know that someone else a buddy would spend a night like that. Man, it I mean I I can't even talk about it still. It's been three and a half years and I choke up. But yeah. uh, that was uh that was definitely the hardest moment of my life. Yeah. Um 
he didn't get to meet my daughter. She was born yep. two months after he died. She was born May 5th. He passed away March 2nd. So and we, I think we buried him March 6th. So, um, man, just rough time. That was a weird year. We followed that up with, it was just so much change, right? Yep. My dad died, had a baby, and my wife and I got engaged. You know, our story might not be the... Uh, the, the 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 Christian movie story of you know high school sweethearts that fell in love, sure. and got married, and then had kids. Sure. We, we dated for a year, and we were definitely in love. I already knew I wanted to marry her. I'd already told my parents that. I'd already told some of my team that. Um, but um, yeah, we got pregnant first, and so um, anyway, and then that fall we released the album until my voice goes out, and we were in Vegas for the shootings. And luckily, fortunately, I wasn't down there. Yeah. Uh, I had just left probably 30 minutes before to go back to the hotel room to check on my wife who was up there not feeling well. And the whole reason she came out was to see Jason Aldean. She's like a big fan, right? So yeah. Big fan of all country. So she wanted to watch Jason Aldean. She comes out there and she just wasn't feeling good. So she stayed in the hotel. And so I went to check on her. And that's why I was not on the side of the stage or backstage when that happened. And maybe my story is a lot different right now if I was. So, so many what ifs. And I appreciate your heart and saying that about my dad, Um, you know, because, you know, I don't want to get into a, I don't want to try to compare situations at all. But I remember when you suffered a loss. Yeah. I bawled. Once again, we were kind of connected with that too, because we had seen each other a few days before, and you took a picture of me and Riv, and texted it to me. Yeah, and um, my that's wife one. and I cry several times. We just our hearts broke. That was one of the last pics. Yeah, that I have of me and him. Um, you took it at Lone Star Jam, and uh, so yeah, we we have. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to end like on on this kind of note, but but me and you have. A really uh, intertwined history. Yeah. Some highs and some really lows. And um, I like to think that we're not even halfway done with, no, with our history, me we're and boys. you together. And, uh, and dude, I just I appreciate you driving over here for this, for this podcast, and I hope that we get to do it. It's my first musical artist. I hope we get to do it many more times. I'm, I'm down anytime. Yeah. Appreciate Thanks, you, brother. Both.